Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm uh, sitting down and having a great conversation with Olivia Rose. Olivia is a veteran in the industry. She's held a bunch of uh, CISO positions as well as virtual CISO positions. Um, I think she recently uh, also founded um, an, a gr- an organization called Cyversity that's very involved with mentorship, uh, mentors and mentees. Maybe you can talk a bit about that, but please step in, introduce yourself properly, Olivia. Well, <laughs> let me correct that. Actually, I'm on the board of directors for Cyversity, uh, but I created uh, the mentorship program and I, and I lead that there. It's a very large program and we're having a lot of success. We're finishing our second session now. Um, but, and the third session is coming up in August. Uh, but yes, I've been a CISO a few times. I uh, recently went out and started my own virtual CISO company, which is knock on wood going really well. So very happy about that. Um, but yeah, if anyone who's interested in mentorship, uh, if they could go to Cybercity, C-Y-V-E-R-S-I-T-Y.org, uh, they'll see information there about how to get involved. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and uh, sorry about the confusion. I was sure this. Uh, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I uh, I, take credit. <laughs> yeah, and I'm part of that program as well. It's been going great. Yeah, so thank you yeah. for that opportunity. Um, well, yeah, we have a full, uh, you know, episode today. So we'll be talking about you, your path, your career, your career. Uh, the the purpose of this podcast is basically to you know provide some information in an easily easily and digestible way to our listeners uh and anything you could contribute would be greatly appreciated we always start off with a couple of icebreakers uh if you're you're willing to share your marital status and favorite drink uh marital status uh it's complicated i'm kidding (laughs) Uh, i'm kidding um officially divorced but officially engaged but no plans to get married (laughs) so it is complicated Okay. But yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, what about drink? I just about three or four months ago gave up wine, which was very difficult to do. Mm. Uh, so favorite drink right now is probably Coke Zero because it helps to that that sweetness helps when I'm craving wine. <laughs> so it does not have the same effect, unfortunately. I thought I thought they they banned that in the US but I might be mistaken. That's what I thought. No. Okay. Not Coke Zero. Okay. Well, great. Let's dive right in. Um what's the best what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you just began your career? Uh that you know, I, I think I needed to uh, show vulnerability, ask for help more. I think that um, when I started out, I mean, this was 21 years ago. Uh, when I started out 
uh, I didn't feel that it was safe to ask questions. I mean, I was the only female. I didn't know any other females. Um, so, I, and I think that security is an art. It's not a science. And I think everyone has questions about security and nobody knows all the answers. So it is okay to ask questions and not know things. But I wish, I wish I had known that it was okay to not know something. And so let me ask you a follow-up question. How does that uh, play with, uh, well, let me take a step back. I know you've been addressing the imposter syndrome quite yeah. a lot on social media. How would that play with uh, you know what you just said? Uh, my problem was I didn't have imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I should have had it. That's the problem. Uh, you know, I was a... Uh, I was an arrogant, stubborn, uh, <laughs> <laughs> young, uh, you know, back then I was young. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I wanted to be a security consultant. I was in marketing. I wanted to be a security consultant. I got the opportunity to be a security consultant and I just, I went for the, I went for it and, uh, no, I, I never stopped to look back, <laughs> but I think that it would have been good for me to uh, have a little of imposter syndrome to tone down the, the arrogance <laughs> a little bit. Probably, probably would have made my career a little easier than it has been, <laughs> to be honest. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, can I ask what made you uh, tackle the imposter syndrome lately on social media then? Well, it's always been around. I've tackled it many times. I just started doing this video series because I, as as you know, I talk a lot with young people, especially women and underrepresented minorities in this industry and every day and, and every single day I keep hearing about imposter syndrome. And it seems to be this big flurry of people, young people battling with this imposter syndrome. And everywhere I go on panels, when I speak, there's always someone who asks about it and or comes up after. It's it's every single day, and seeing it on LinkedIn, so I I I kind of got a little tired of saying the same thing over and over and over again. I figured if I if I make it public, I'm, I made a series of three short videos. If I make them public, then maybe that will alleviate some of the questions that I and many others get about this. Um, but I think it's for some reason the last three to four years it has just escalated into, for lack of a better term, into popularity. I don't know if that's because people have put or are, are assigning a name to it now of imposter syndrome versus it's always been there and we just never really noticed it or we didn't have time I, or I, I don't know. But when I was coming up in this industry and I don't I've never talked about imposter syndrome or heard anything about it Interesting. until about three years ago yeah mm -hmm. that's interesting I mean I, I remember reading something about it probably even more than 10 years ago but they were talking mostly about consultants like information security consultants and I know I mean I had it in, in you know when I just started off uh, as, as a consultant so uh Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, that would be nice to understand. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because I've been focusing the last three years on women and underrepresented minorities. Mm. That's my spot. So maybe it's more elevated in those 
groups of people? I don't, I don't know. Mm. I did, I've never really heard of it before. Might be, might be. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you. Interesting. Uh, and you know, so we spoke a bit about what you wish you'd known. What would you consider as your biggest failure, and what did you uh, learn from it? Oh, uh, I don't fail. I learn. <laughs> That's <Good>. my motto. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. So many failures. Um, so many. I stayed in consulting for far too long. I was in consulting for 17 years because I was too scared to get out of it. And when I did, I went into a CISO role. So it was a big jump. Right. Um, I, I wish I had moved to San Francisco, the Bay Area during the boom. Um, I, I don't think I have failures. I have like I wish I did. I, I wish I had done that. I wish I had moved to Bay Area. I wish I had asked more questions. I, I wish I had gotten out of security consulting faster and in-house sooner. Um, I wish I hadn't been so stubborn. I don't know. It, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't. I started a business uh, probably about seven years ago that I got a really great client, Costco, for nine months, but didn't get any other clients. So it's not really a failure, but I'm glad I did it. <laughs> I, okay. I, yeah, I don't think I really have failures. No, that's great. I mean, yeah. that, that's a great. <laughs> I, that's a great answer. Um, and what would you say? What would you perceive as your, your biggest accomplishment? It was definitely getting my CISSP. That was back in 2005. And really, you landed Costco as a customer, but CISSP, that would be your greatest achievement. I'm not well, criticizing, I'm just surprised. Well, uh, Costco was awesome. They're the nicest company ever. Just <laughs> so nice. Um, yeah, that was a big accomplishment. Um, I have a Fortune 500 company right now I'm working with. That's another huge accomplishment. Um, but I think my biggest one. The one that had the most impact on my career was getting my CISSP in 2005, because without it, I was not able to move from marketing into consulting at Internet Security Systems, ISS, back in the day, one of the very first Internet com security companies in Atlanta. And um, the VP of Professional Services said, well, we only hire people with experience, but get your CISSP. And you can go find a job, like an entry-level consulting job somewhere else. And I said, okay. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'll get it. Uh, and then I saw the, the Sean Harris book, which is, <laughs> you know, that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I studied for six months, and I took the test, and I passed on the first try. And that day that I got it, that I got notified. I mean, back then we were using the, the pencils to fill in the, um, the, the, it wasn't online. You had to wait for your, um, for your results, but I passed it and, and the VP heard about it and he called me up on the office phone, the desk, my desk phone and said, you passed it. I'm going to hire you. And I said, but you said, and it's totally, it's completely okay. You said that you wouldn't hire me. And he said, no, I knew that you had no idea what the CISSP was when you walked out of that room, but you, by golly, were going to get it. <laughs> and if you got it, I was going to offer you a job. So that's how I got into consulting. So that's why I say the CISSP is got it. Yeah. Well, the biggest accomplishment.
Yeah, I understand that was a pivotal point. Yeah. And then right after that, uh, the consultant who was supposed to be training me, his wife was very pregnant and she, uh, <laughs> uh, they had a deal that he would not be traveling. So he couldn't go with me to do my first PCI assessment. And um, by the way, I flunked. This is when Visa was doing the PCI stuff before it mm -hmm. went to the PCI council. I flunked it, the test with Visa, and I wrote them this begging, groveling email <laughs> to say, please pass me. I'll do anything. I'll write an essay. And they said, okay, fine. We'll pass you. You know. And I said, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I got that. The QS QSAC, I think it was back, back in that, back in those days. QESP, I think it was mm -hmm. before it was. USA. And um, I went and did PayPal by myself, their uh, PCI assessment um, by myself. That was my first client. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good way to ease you into easy waters, you know, just to have yeah. you do a PCI assessment on PayPal. Sounds like a yeah, it was nothing. good, good first gig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you know, for uh, our young listeners out there and those who are just getting started in the cybersecurity world, what 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 piece of advice would you give them? Uh, you're you're in for a long long haul, and so you better pack a uh, a good lunch and put on your running shoes because uh, and wear comfortable shoes because whatever they told you in school or as you're getting certificates or degrees. It's not easy right now to get your first job in cybersecurity. Um, I say 10 minutes worth of this. If you go to my LinkedIn page, the video I just posted so you can find out more. But those 3.5 million jobs, job shortage that we have that the media talks about, those aren't for entry level jobs. They're for experienced jobs and entry level nowadays is not what it was two to three years ago. Entry level nowadays is you have to have two to three years of experience to have an entry level job. It, it's just ridiculous. So you're in for a long haul. And so, but the key is, uh, and you will not make $100,000 on your first job unless you're incredibly fortunate. That, that's what they, that's what they tell students nowadays. Uh, in school, and it's just not true. So just be ready for it. It's the harsh truth, but once you know the truth, you know how to work with what you have. Uh, don't give up on trying to get in. Just be smarter about it. Don't just send out your resumes randomly. You have to work in different ways to get yourself noticed by hiring companies. Um, but I, I don't mean to push myself, but go to LinkedIn. I, I just posted a long video about that. So you can get mm -hmm. more information. <laughs> okay. Thank you about that. And, you know, just to uh, ask a quick follow-up question on that, uh, because there's there are so many ways that uh, people can try to get into the market nowadays and so many positions, you know, anything from a SOC analyst to anything around SDLC or even SecOps or consultant, consulting, obviously. Like, what would you be your, you know, advice for how? How to get started? What, where do I start? You know, I'm. I know I want to do cyber. I don't know where to start. I. If you look, if you read the histories or the backgrounds of security professionals, those who have been around for a while, you will see a trend 
that the majority did not start out in cybersecurity. Correct. And so the issue or the the problem now is that people are going to school to get these cybersecurity degrees or certifications where and then trying to go straight into cybersecurity. But it doesn't really work that way. The the best ways to get, get in are go into consulting. Consulting is amazing. Uh, as, as you know, Ben, you know, it, it's amazing for truly understanding what what clients want. And you get to see a whole variety of environments. So going into consulting, maybe in a more of a support role, but you'll grow into a consultant role there. So that's one option. Another one is through other um, other functions. So the IT team, that is a great place to start for your security career because you will learn about security controls for user endpoints like computers and laptops. And you'll learn all about access control. You'll learn about antivirus and how to configure all of that and some elements of incident response. That's a really good way. Or find big companies, you know, the big mass, massive ones, the Fortune 500s, and just get any job. Just get a job. Do anything and get to be friends with the security team there and hang out with them and shadow them and get to know them because security teams are typically really nice people. And if you show an interest, they'll take you under their wing. So don't be afraid to just do anything, deliver the mail. Well, that's actually, that's actually old fashioned. They don't really <laughs> <deliver mail> <laughs> Not really. Like, you know, or, you know, start from the bottom in, in, in marketing. It doesn't matter. And then the final one, which I'm really big into, that um, I've been talking to some folks from the FBI for the mentorship program is the FBI. They have a ton of entry level jobs <laughs> and you can very easily get routed to uh, p- roles and positions that are in cybercrime and doing other things and being in security operations there. Um, it's a great method to just get some experience. So in a nutshell, you have to be realistic and and be aware it's very difficult to get into uh, security nowadays, which is beyond stupid, <laughs> right? Because we need to hire people so badly. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but don't, you know, drop the ego, be humble and, and take other routes to get there. Get two or three years of doing something else and then go into it. I think that, you know, that's a great piece of advice. And I completely agree with uh, everything that you said, uh, you know, about the market and about how to start. And I think really, I mean, we'll probably make a trailer out of what you just said, because it's very <laughs> valuable in, in my opinion. Thank you for that. Uh, Let's talk a bit about the role of the CISO in an organization. So in some organizations, as you know, the CISO might be reporting to the CFO, to the CEO, to the COO, and and while in some organizations, the CISO is still a part of the IT organization. What are your thoughts about that? Um, Which approach is better? I mean, in your uh, opinion. uh, (laughs) Ah. 
I think in my mind, and a lot of people have their own theories and, and views, I think it's better for the CISO to report to not sorry to not report into a group that has to do remediation of findings that are relevant to security. So if you report up to engineering, the CTO or VP of engineering, there's typically a bunch of thing of findings that need to be fixed. And if I'm reporting to the same person who's going to be called out on the carpet for non-compliance of certain findings, then they can sway whether I, because they're my manager, you know, I might feel pressured to accept certain things. And same thing with legal. It's not ideal to have the CISO report up into legal. I, I would prefer reporting into legal because I think security, privacy, and and law and legal are very intertwined. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always I always call them my best buddies. Um, it's a very strong partnership. But ultimately, ideally, you would want to report into a different role uh, on the C the the C level. So the CEO is, I guess, the best. CFO uh, as well. Depends on the company, depends on who the CEO is, their personality type. But I think the danger is reporting to someone who can affect how you go about remediating findings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, and, you know, I know you mentioned so when you get started, your, uh, you know, your ticket in was the CISSP, but since that time, and that was back in, uh, I think, 2005, you said, but since then, I mean, the, the, the market evolved and you grew and you acquired new skills. What were the best resources that have helped you in growing personally and professionally? Pretty much what I've said before about why it's great to go into consulting mm-hmm. is I saw a lot of different environments. I saw a lot of good. I saw a lot of bad. I, I, and, and ugly. <laughs> I, I saw a lot of solutions, a lot of tooling, a lot of creativity and coming up with solutions. I met a lot of different types of people and different teams. And you don't get that, um, that experience so much when you go in-house to start. It's, it's extremely valuable experience. Uh, so I think I've learned a lot just picking up along the way all of those things. I'm very grateful for being in consulting. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, being a consultant, that's like one of the, wouldn't say the easier paths, but uh, it's it's a path where you can learn as much as you'd like to learn if you're willing to, you know, to put in the time and you have a thirst for uh, knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. And Talking about the industry just a bit, is there one myth about our profession that you wanted to debunk? One myth? Uh, yeah. Oh. You could pick one, more than one, yeah, usually. usually people, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be kind of boring and say one that a lot of people probably say, that you don't need to be technical to get into security. It's not all guys wearing hoodies in their basement. <laughs> you can't <laughs> imagine how many times I got the hoodies answer here. <laughs> I know. So I'll give you another quick one um, that's more interesting. Uh, 
It's not women, it's not woman CISO or women CISOs. It's CISOs. <laughs> because you don't say male CISO. No. You don't say, you don't, you know, but people every time they, I'm introduced or on panels or anything like that, it's like, oh, women CISOs. Really? Female CISO panel. Oh, yeah. Never heard that, to be honest, but okay. Yeah. Well, well, you're not. Well, well, yeah, I mean, but I've, you know, I've witnessed some of these panels. But okay, well, uh, thank you. I get it a lot. I don't know. Well, yeah. Um, You know, that's one of the reasons we're talking right now, because I reached out, I think, I think I reached out to you and told you, hey, you know, we have all these male participants in our podcast. I really want to mix it up. And uh, and you were very helpful in introducing me to a bunch of other female seasons. Probably the first time I'm using that. <laughs> but And thank you for that. Um, and, you know, talking a bit about more of the about the role of the seasons nowadays, in your opinion, what are the concerns, the main concerns that seasons nowadays have? It's it is such a tough job. Um, I got so burnt out twice. Burnt out. Uh, you've got internal pressure. Um, you've got the pressure of managing your team. You've got the pressure from the board. You've got the pressure from executives. You've got that little voice in your head. You know, you just know um, if there's a breach, who's going to be the scapegoat? Right. You, you know, it's, it's such a difficult job and you know what needs to get done. Uh, but every, all these other teams have their own priorities. I mean, I may want them to put in uh, or to upgrade their WAF, web application firewall. But you know what? The infrastructure team has other priorities. They, and so there's this constant <laughs> negotiation going on. Uh, and persuading and influencing. So, but you know what though? I wouldn't have traded it for the world. I may one day, if I find the right place, I mean, uh, right now I say no, but never say never. I would go right back and do it again because there's nothing, there's not, there's no job out there like it. It's, it's an absolute thrill to, to do. And from a, Professional technical standpoint, you know, a CISO at a given or in a given organization, what would be the areas that you think they would be most fo- focused on right now? Uh, things like things you can't see, identifying those things. So data uh, discovery, asset discovery. Uh, there's that mantra. You, you don't you can't protect what you don't know about. And there's a lot we don't know. Uh, of course, cloud that's been around for a while is a priority. Another big priority is code, secure coding, um, APIs, protecting those because those are becoming more and more uh, dominant and, and used. Um, and people aren't paying enough attention to API security. Uh, another big one is forensics incident response. Um, I think that incident response is probably one of the first things you should put into place as a new CISO at an organization because, uh, you know, it's going to take you a while to fix everything else, but at least you can, you have a retainer, at least you can identify and respond to an incident because Mm -hmm. one day it will happen. 
Um, so it's a game of chances. And then another one, of course, is AI, you know, chat GPT. This is, we know some things, there's some things we don't. Um, it's, it's, it's a whole new frontier that we need to figure out how to use within organizations. But uh, those seem to be the newer um, aspects uh, that CISOs are, are focusing on. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned a bunch of, you know, skills, like a bunch of things that are like a part of the skill set of a CISO. And, you know, we, we, we all know, I think, that a CISO has so many, uh, you know, skills that they need to be, uh, you know, to, to, to have in order to to steer this ship, right? So, yeah. you know, and it's a combination of technical and business and all that. In your opinion, what are the most important skills that CISOs should have? Because it's, it's, I mean, it's too much, right? You can't know it all. Yeah, you can't. You, and and it's interesting because five to five to seven years ago, it was far more. You have to know technology. You have to be technical to be a CISO. You have to have hands-on keyboard and know know how to code and and all the and, and configure a firewall and all these things. What's interesting is that there's been a shift to now. Security is part of the business, so you have to be able to speak business, business. <laughs> and make security resonate with people who don't understand security and think it's just a money pit because security people are very expensive. Security tools are very expensive. And what is the barometer of effectiveness and success in security when nothing happens? I mean, what other... What other function is there <laughs> that, that has that in place, right? So, um, yeah. So it's interesting because one side of the brain—it's very rare to find people who think with both sides of the brain. Very, I mean, very rare. People think with one side, the left side, or the right. And one side is heavily technical, and one side is heavily more strategic and governance and long-term and communicative. Um, so. I think a lot of companies go astray in trying to find that what we call a purple unicorn, someone who thinks with both sides of the brain. It's not possible. So you have to be either extremely technical because there is a market definitely, definitely for technical CISOs, but have a medium level of business skills, persuasion, influence, presentation, um, translation to the board, human kind of skills. Or you need to have all those in abundance with the governance and strategic skills and have a medium level of technical skills. So I'm, I fall into that latter bucket. Um, but that's what people don't really realize nowadays. Um, and that's why you can get into this industry by not being technical. You can go on the governance side. But you still need to beef up and have a high level understanding of all the technology to get that mid level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I I agree. I mean, nowadays CISOs is definitely the role itself is really different than what it used to be, and I think it's mm -hmm. it also varies across cultures and countries. Uh, I believe a CISO in the U.S. versus a CISO in Europe versus a CISO maybe in Mexico might have you know. A, 
slightly different look and feel to it, to that role. But speaking about that and focusing about the US, where do you think the CISO role is going? Like, so you mentioned what, you know, what the CISO, what the role entailed like five, seven years ago, where would it be five, seven years from uh, now? Yeah, that's, that's a loaded question. <laughs> Okay, so you want my, okay, you want my honest feedback. Well, I, look, you. you're here to work. I'm not. I'm not here to give you an easy time. So you know. <laughs> okay, so this is my opinion, my opinion only, but it is based in fact. I think in about three to four years, especially after the whole Uber uh, fiasco, um, I think that we will not have CISOs in house. I think it's a role that was never fully defined and clarified. I think the Fortune 500, Fortune 500 organizations will continue to have a CISO or somebody who's the leader, whatever that title is. They will continue to have that in Fortune 500 companies because they have to. Somebody needs to represent it to the board and other executives and publicly. For the rest of the companies, do they really need a CISO? I think the trend is going to sway very abruptly to outsourcing the the CISO work to people like like us, right? Uh, doing a virtual CISO type of role, uh, and then having a technical staff in house, but having someone who's able to, you know, direct it, strategize, govern oversee, it, oversee, oversee, provide guidance, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I really think so. I think that um, I think CISOs are very highly paid. Uh, they're, they're a big cost, an in-house CISO. Uh, they are. It's risky also to hire a CISO. I mean, you don't know who you're going to get, uh, so it is a little risky, and it's a very important, high-profile role. Um, is it? Is that role really needed internally? Not really. If you think about it, if you have someone on the outside, so it solves a bunch of problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously, it's not the first time I'm hearing that. And, you know, that's part of the reason that we're both in the virtual CISO space as well. And <laughs> yeah. it sounds to me like you were speaking a lot to Barack from, you, you oh, yeah. know, who I'm talking to. He, he was on this uh, podcast as well. Yeah, I've read his book as well. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which one? He dedicated one of the books to me. Oh, really? That the the second one? <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not. I think it was the second one. It wasn't the most recent one. The one that just came out. Um, in fact, we went to junior high school together. Yeah. Which I, I, I was interviewing my last CISO role, and uh, he was the virtual CISO at the time, and he looked at me and he said. How do I know you? And I'm like, oh, it's probably from around the security community. And then we nailed down that we went to the same junior high school in, in, a, in a different country, yeah, in Israel. Well, <laughs> yeah, in, in Haifa, in Israel. So um, I knew I had that job. <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, he, I remember distinctly saying to him on that call that security is an art, it's not a science. And that's the story he told in the book. Mm, okay. Uh, moving on, we're almost at time. We have a, uh, you know, we have some time for a couple more questions here. So, just wrapping up about uh, my questions about the industry. What do you think we will see in the in the industry next? 
Oh, I, okay. So I'm going to divide this into what I wish I, we would finally see. Uh, what I wish we would finally see is cohesion between vendors to actually do what's right instead of just trying to grab money because uh, it boggles my mind that 40,000 people descended upon San Francisco, uh, what, a month and a half ago for RSA, RSA. conference? And we cannot figure out how to make tools work together. Uh, 40,000 people in one place, <laughs> right? Uh, the tools just do not play well together. Um, and it's frustrating. And the reason they don't is because people are not thinking about protecting people. The real reason why we exist in this space. It's not for the money. It's not for the prestige, even, prestige, even though both are nice. It's, it's truly to protect people and the US, well, here in the States, in the United States, in the country, wherever you live. And so it really bothers me that it's become such a money grab industry uh, and people are doing it for the wrong reasons. So that's what I would like to see happen is let's get back to where it was 10, 15 years ago, where it was about protecting people at the end of the day and figure out Somebody needs to lock us all in some massive room and not let us out until we figure this out, how to all work together to uh, to actually come up with things, things that work, solutions that work. Mm -hmm. So what you said, that that would be the ideal solution, that uh, the, the ideal situation that you would like you know, to be. Okay, uh, do, you think, do, you, do you think, yeah, that's your wish list. Do you think that's realistic or do you have other, uh, okay. What no, do you think, what do you well, think will happen? Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I think, uh, what will happen, I think we'll come out, come out with really exciting tools. Uh, there are some really, really amazing ones. I mean, coming out of Tel Aviv alone, I mean, it, they're my, they're just amazing, uh, what people come up with. Um, and that's exciting new technology and, the problem is, though, is that we're still struggling with the foundations. So I do see these new companies and new exciting tools coming out, but we, we still are missing a whole big problem area where we can't figure out the fundamentals, <laughs> the foundations of a solid security program, like asset inventory uh, and data discovery. Uh, and processes, we cannot figure it out. So mm -hmm. I'm a little down about the future, but I love this mm -hmm. industry and I will give it my best go. <laughs> and, you know, speaking about uh, what you mentioned, like RSA, a heap of vendors over there. And, you know, everybody, as you said, the, 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 the interests are really, you know, e simple here. I mean, it's a capitalistic market. Everybody's uh, <laughs> chasing the dollar sign and that's fine. I mean, it is what it is. This is how the market operates. Yeah. Uh, and I know like vendors nowadays and CISOs on both ends struggle with, you know, time management. And, you know, I know I get, you probably get those as well, like 20, 15, 20 requests a day. Yeah. And everybody's trying to sell me something, trying to yeah. get 15 minutes on my calendar and all that. And yeah. I know a lot of uh, cybersecurity vendors are doing that as well. You know, couple that with uh, whatever tickets to the Warriors game over here in Chase Center and all that. In your opinion, <laughs> what's the, uh, I mean, what what would be a good approach for a vendor to start forming a relationship 
with a potential customer. I'm sure you've heard this many times. So I really wish vendors would do it. Um, it's all about relationships. I'm not going to respond to an email from someone I don't know. It's, it's delete, delete, delete. I, um, it's all about relationships. We all have our trusted networks and we ask, say, you know, who do you recommend for EDR? And then people will come back with five that they love, but there's always one that they hate. And, um, this community talks. And the reason why this community is so talkative to each other is that we trust each other because this is this role, the job of a CISO and vendors need to understand this. It is the least trusting job probably that I can think of. I can't think of a job where you have someone who is more paranoid, who doesn't trust anything leading a program. And so the only other people that we can trust is our other people who do the same thing we can. So when they say something's good, I'm automatically going to assume that it's good. If you told me something is good, Ben, I would have automatically be like, oh, yeah, I'll go check them out. But this cold calling and this ugh, the emailing, it's terrible, especially when they get your phone number at six o'clock yeah. in the morning. Um, but my final thought about this is there's nothing that is as strong as getting a warm intro from another security leader for your product. So if you have a happy security leader who loves your product or whatever you're selling, use them, rely on them, uh, donate to their favorite charities and ask them for intros to their networks. That is the best way to get into to talk with other leaders. But this direct communication, it, it just doesn't work. I don't know why they keep doing it. And I want to ask a follow-up, potentially loaded question here. So, oh. yeah. So I, I know you know a lot of uh, once you start building relationships, or there's uh, you know that perks and benefits component to it. Let's just call it that. Uh, and I know where I draw the line and put the boundaries for, you know, my relationships with my customers. Like I would never, and this is just me, I'm not saying that's wrong. I would never send whatever, like tablets or, you know, highly, whatever, like like very pricey tickets and or for ball games or stuff like that. But I know a lot of vendors are doing that, uh, you know, including maybe in some cases like flying like a, you know, giving out a fully reimbursed uh, expense, expenses uh, trip to whatever Vegas Paris yeah. whatever that might be and for me that's like over the top, over the top and you know yeah. that, that that's crossing a line where do you think the line crosses um well most companies have guidelines right for limits so um but I, I think what vendors don't realize is they're marketing to people who can afford their own trips to Paris. The problem is finding the time <laughs> yeah. to go, right? Because, of course, there's going to be a breach right before um, you go. But I can buy my own iPods. I don't need you to send me one <laughs> and then say to get the other one. I mean, I can afford them. I can, I can afford a trip to Vegas. I mean, people who you're trying to target here are actually, you know, they've worked very hard to get to where they are and they make pretty good money. 
So there's no point in trying to throw these expensive gifts at them. What works beautifully, and it's also very uncomfortable too. It's it's it is it's it's a little sleazy. Um, that that, that was the word uh, I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a little sleazy to that the fact that you have to work that hard to get attention to your tool when if it was a really good tool, I would have heard about it anyway without you giving me a trip to Paris. Um, what works beautifully, though, is CISOs love charities. Uh, we love volunteering. It's, you know, any security person, really, it's in our blood that we want to help people. Uh, so figuring out what matters to them. I mean, if you, if you send me an email saying I'm going to donate a thousand bucks to diversity for 30 minutes, hell yeah, I'll be on that phone call, right? And I would try to help you out. If I'm not going to buy from you, I would try to point you in the right direction because that's doing something bigger than, than giving me a trip to Paris. Mm hmm. Well, yeah, that's a great advice. I haven't heard that one before. Thank you. Uh, we have time for one more question before we have to wrap this up. Uh, if money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Would you do anything different? No, probably not. Um, you know, um, I like to say people have tried to get rid of me several times in this industry. I've, I have faced a lot of sexism and chauvinism. Uh, it's gotten significantly better over the past six, seven years, but uh, it was rough coming up in this industry as a female. Ask any woman coming up in this industry. <laughs> I mean, it's much better now. Uh, and that's why we work so hard for future generations to make it easier for them. Um, you know, uh, people have tried to get rid of me many times. I'm not budging. I love security. I'm good at it. I wouldn't, I can't think of anything else I would do. I think that uh, I'm fearful for when I retire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't, I would, I would go a little nutty, uh, not having anything to do. I don't think I'll ever retire. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. And thank you for the past, uh, whatever it was, 45, 50 minutes that we had this, uh, discussion. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you again. Uh, any final notes? I think that going back to the uh, security newbies, as I call them, um, I have a soft spot for security newbies. I think this is the best industry in the world. I think it's got the best people in it, uh, other than our military and, and our healthcare workers and, and our volunteers and so forth, uh, and special ed teachers. Uh, I think it's got some of the best people in the world. Um, it's worth fighting for to to get into, to try to knock down that wall, that entry-level wall. And there are ways to do that. Uh, but you you got to bring a packed lunch and wear comfortable shoes. That's what I say, because it is, it's going to take a while. It's a difficult industry to get into nowadays. Well, thank you for the, thank you for the inspiring final notes. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you, Olivia. You as well. I'm so glad we finally did this. All right, bye. Bye-bye.